0: Well, if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 8 in your copy of God's Word this Lord's Day, and if you don't have a Bible uh, with you or available, you can reach down to the pew rack in front of you and find one there. Uh, We've been walking through the book of Hebrews, and today we are in the second part of chapter 8. As you turn there, I want to mention something that was in your newsletter this week. I'm sure that you all read your church newsletter every week, but just in case you missed it, I wanted to mention something I highlighted this week is that uh, on November 1st, uh, Janice Hayden will have been with our church serving here for 20 years. And so I promised Janice I would not make a big deal of that, but she's not in this service, so I can make as big a deal as I want. So, her daughter is and her father, but they won't say anything. But uh, I want to make sure that you know that and that you give honor to whom honor is due. We are very thankful Uh, My family personally is, as well as we as a church are, for Janice and her faithful service here at the church. Uh, She has been a staple here for a number of years, has served faithfully, working here for the last 20. Uh, Janice does not like recognition at all, but she does like Cheerios, and she likes peanut M&Ms, and I'm sure she would accept $50 bills. So, (laughs) I have put her address there in your newsletter that you have already received, if you haven't there's one available in several around the building. And I would encourage you in the coming week to drop a card in the mail. Let Janice know how much you appreciate her service here at the church. So, And don't tell her I made a big deal of it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 8. Uh, we come to a point now where the author of Hebrews has been making a pretty clear case that Jesus is our great high priest and as our great high priest, that he offers us better promises Uh, He offers us a better everything, a better covenant. And so last week we looked at uh, what was better, what is better about this high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to continue in looking at what is better, specifically with what is better about the covenant that we have through Jesus. And so we're going to pick back up in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, and then read through the end of the chapter. So, out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, if you would stand together as I read the text for us today. And this is what God's holy word says. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. He would pray with me. Father God, we thank you for the new covenant that we have through Jesus Christ, and I pray that you would help us to understand that covenant today, to understand what a glorious thing it is to live on this side of salvation history. We pray for this in Jesus' name. that Coca-Cola, which at the time had been around for about 100 years, uh, they were in the midst of what was called the Cola Wars between them and Pepsi, and they were vying for market share, and actually sales of Coca-Cola had gone down, and taste tests were telling them that people preferred Pepsi to Coke because people were really weird in 1985. And so uh, they decided it would be a good idea to change a 100-year-old formula and to come up with something they called New Coke. And some of you remember New Coke. It was terrible, and it was awful, and they should never have changed it. And I still feel very strongly about that, but uh, it wasn't just me. Uh, Everybody pretty much pushed back against New Coke. In fact, within a few months, they had had to go back to the drawing board and re-release the original Coke and called it Coca-Cola Classic, which is why you can still find bottles and cans that say Coca-Cola Classic on them because they were telling people, okay, we heard your voice, we've gone back to the original thing. What they learned painfully in 1985 was that newer is not always better. And many of us know this. You may have just you know, casual experiences with that. Maybe your, your favorite restaurant changes the menu and, and it's new, but it's not better. Maybe your local Walmart changes the layout and you can't find anything anymore. And we find that newer is not always better. But there are times when newer is better. Many of you have been blessed by new advances in medical technology and new medications and new treatments where where new is better. There's a lot of times now where we have safety features in our vehicles, and in our homes that we didn't used to have and they better protect us and our children. And in those cases, newer is better. And especially as we come to God's Word and we read about this new covenant that He offers, we find that in God's economy, that newer is absolutely better. And we talked last week about how Uh, We kind of casually use that term better when things might not be better, but with God, better is always better. Best is always best, and with Him, new is indeed better, and new is indeed best, especially when it comes to the promises of the new covenant. And we've read these words in Hebrews already, the, the new and the old, but we need to pause to really consider, well, what does it mean? Well, what was the old covenant? And what is the New Covenant? And what is it that is so much better about the New Covenant? And that's where the writer of Hebrews takes us today. And he does that by walking back to the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah lived about 600 years before the coming of Christ. He was a prophet, and during those times, God revealed his word to his people through his prophets. And so Jeremiah, as a prophet was proclaiming God's Word to God's people during a very dark time in Israel's history, during a time where people were turning away from God, they were turning away from His Word, they were unrepentant. And so Jeremiah is often referred to as the weeping prophet because he wept over the sin of the people of Israel, but they did not weep over their sin. They would not repent. He was called to call people to repentance who would not repent. And the way He did that was not by telling them, listen, you need to pay attention to this old covenant. You need to pay attention to the Mosaic covenant. You need to go back to what God told us there at Mount Sinai. No, He pointed them forward. He pointed them towards a day there would be a new covenant in the house of Israel. He was pointing them towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he pointed them forward, those who were faithful had a promise to hold on to. And for 600 years, they held on to that promise. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying, that promise has been fulfilled. He's saying that promise has been recognized in and through Jesus Christ. He is the one who makes the new covenant possible. And it is so much better. The question is, how is it better? And that's what we're going to look at as we walk through the text today. Beginning with that first point that I've put there in your outline. The new covenant is better because the new covenant is secured by Christ's faithfulness. It's secured by Christ's faithfulness. So when we say old covenant, we're looking back to that covenant that God made with His people when He delivered them out of Egypt. You may remember, He freed them from Egypt. He freed them from their slavery. He took them out of Egypt. But then He needed to take Egypt out of them. He had to teach them how to live as they prepared to go to the promised land. And He did that by giving them His law and His commandments but he did not give that directly to the people. That's where we see the important role of Moses during the Exodus. Moses was the mediator. And so Moses was the one that God would speak to, and then Moses would speak to the people on behalf of God. And so Moses is the mediator. We see Moses then at Mount Sinai. He goes up and receives this instruction, this covenant from God. That's why we often refer to the Old Covenant as the Mosaic Covenant. And that covenant was essentially a cause and effect covenant. God told his people, if you do this, I will do this. So if you obey me, and if you obey the word I've given you, then I will bless you. But if you disobey me, if you forsake me, if you turn against me, then I will curse you. And that is what the Old Covenant consisted of. And that's why we see here in verse 9, as the writer of Hebrews is recalling these words of Jeremiah, he reminds us of this covenant and how it was broken by the people because it depended in part on their faithfulness. And because they were not faithful, there was a consequence. For example, verse 9, For they did not continue in My covenant, so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. And that's a very sobering statement for us to read. That God would look at His people and say, you are not fulfilling your end of this covenant, therefore I will show no concern for you. But that's what we see in the Old Testament. That phrase, no concern, means that there are times in Israel's history when God would remove His hand of protection from His people. That there are times in Israel's history where God would remove His provision and His protection and and He would bring calamity and suffering and captivity and slavery would come upon His people. Why was that? Because the people had turned against God and God removed His favor from the people. Now, God did not do this in a... Now, we might associate it as a pouty or vengeful way. No, God did this out of His love for His people and out of His sovereign plan for His people because His desire was to bring them back into fellowship with Him. So so this was a corrective measure. This was an act of discipline in hopes that they would then turn back to Him and obey Him. And that's often what God's people did. And so we see this cycle in the Old Testament with the Israelites where they would drift away from God and they would disobey God and God would allow their enemies to conquer them or bring great famines against them and then the people would turn back to God and worship God and God would bless them and then as they were blessed and enjoying the fruitfulness of that, they'd become self-dependent and they'd turn against God again and there's this up and down cycle that we see and that was a result of this Old Covenant. But here what we read and what we are reminded of is that through Christ we can have a new covenant. And one of the beautiful things about this covenant is it's not dependent on our faithfulness. See, what Israel learned was that the old covenant was dependent in part on their faithfulness. And they were very inconsistent people. And we can identify with that because we too are very inconsistent people. Here we are towards the end of October. How have those New Year's resolutions gone? <laughs> I probably could ask asked that question in February and gotten the same response. Well, we are a people who are quick to make vows and make commitments, and then we don't follow through. Well, we're terribly inconsistent. So when we see this picture and this pattern in Israel, that, that's something we can understand. That's something we can identify with. Now, we too are a people that hear God's Word and don't obey it. And we too are a people who know what it is we are supposed to do, but we don't do it. And we too are a people who say, well, I'm never going to do that again, only to do that again. And the bad news of that is if we're under this old covenant system, then we really don't have a lot of hope. Because that covenant is getting broken by our lack of faith. But what God was doing through the Old Covenant is He was pointing His people towards and preparing them for the New Covenant. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is celebrating here and pointing us towards. Because where the Old Covenant was between God and man and mediated by Moses, the New Covenant is now between God and man, but it's mediated by Jesus Christ. The Old Covenant rested on the faithfulness of man and that failed. The New Covenant rests on the faithfulness of Christ and it perfectly succeeds and that's why our hope this Lord's Day is in the Lord that's why our faith in the Christian life is in Jesus Christ because he is the one who is able to perfectly obey God in his commands and through his perfect obedience we can come into a right relationship with God because Christ was perfect Christ is perfect, Christ was obedient, Christ is obedient, Christ will always be obedient to the Word and to the will of the Father. Therefore, we can have a secure relationship with God because it rests in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And we see that picture in Christ of one who's perfectly obedient, even to the point of the cross. We're reminded of this in Philippians 2, verse 8, where we read, And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so the Old Covenant, it was not secure because the Israelites were not consistent. But the New Covenant is perfectly secure because Jesus is perfectly consistent. And that's why you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, We can get out of bed in the morning. And that's why when we fail and when we struggle and when we sin, we can turn and we can repent and we can confess and we can sing the words we've sang this morning because our faith and our hope rest in Jesus and His righteousness. So we're not going to plead our case before God one day of how good a parent we were and how good a Christian we were how good a brother or sister or child we were, because Christ's death on the cross pleads for us. That's why His blood is what covers our sin. And that gives us great hope. And that makes this covenant better. Point two, we see that the new covenant is better because it's written on our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit. Notice what Jeremiah pointed the people towards for hundreds of years, verses 10 and 11. God says, I will put My law into their minds and write them on their hearts. See, His law had been given before, written on tablets. It was given to them externally. Now He's saying a day is coming when I'm going to write this law on your mind and on your hearts internally verse 11, he says, "When that day comes, they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know Me from the least of them to the greatest. He's going to do something new, he says, through the new covenant, where we'll have this intimate knowledge and relationship with God and knowledge of God, and this will come through Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, write this on our hearts. See, the old covenant taught God's people how to live and called them to it. The New Covenant gives us a new desire on how we are to live. It changes our heart. The Old Covenant gives new instructions. The New Covenant gives a new heart. And the difference here then is between external conformity and internal transformation. See, the Old Covenant gave us commands and taught a new way to live taught the Israelites as they came out of, Israel, out of Egypt, look at all these godless things you saw in Egypt. Don't do those. Instead, do these things. Follow God and obey Him and here's how you do it. And so they were called to external law to transform their lives. But in the New Covenant, we see an internal transformation that comes to us through the Gospel of Jesus Christ where the Holy Spirit regenerates us and gives us a new heart and works on us from the inside out. Now here's the problem. Our flesh gravitates towards the old covenant. Our flesh gravitates towards tell me what I need to do, give me a list of rules to follow, and then I'll feel righteous. Well, we want to know how can we check off the boxes. But that's not the way the gospel works. The Gospel works in a way that God changes our heart and gives us new desires. And we might look extremely messy for a long time, but God's doing a work in us and through us. That the Old Covenant teaches us how to be very religious. But sadly, it points us towards self-righteousness. That the New Covenant teaches us what it means to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ and to trust in Christ's righteousness. And there's a great difference between these two things. And that is why this covenant is indeed better, because it depends on the work of the Holy Spirit, not on the efforts of man. In John chapter 14, Jesus tells us what that work will look like. He promises the Holy Spirit will come, and He teaches His disciples what the Spirit will do. And John 14, for example, He says that the Spirit will be our helper and will be with us forever. That that God's Spirit would not just come and go, there wouldn't be a, a temporary manifestation of the Spirit, but the Spirit would indwell us and would convict us and would lead us towards repentance and righteousness. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will lead us to truth. says so the Holy Spirit dwells in Christians and gives us discernment so that we know how to live in a lost and fallen world. The Holy Spirit gives us new desires. Desires to obey God and to love God and to tell others about Him. The Holy Spirit teaches us and helps us to understand God's Word. And this comes through an internal transformation through the power of the Spirit, which makes that New Covenant so much better. We also see point three, that the New Covenant offers complete forgiveness. Complete forgiveness through the blood of Christ. Notice in verse 12, again, these words that the writer reminds us from God through Jeremiah God says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities. And that, that word used for merciful is the same word that's used to describe the mercy seat in the tabernacle. And You may remember from our study of Exodus and from your own study of God's Word that there in the tabernacle you had the holy place and then you had the most holy place and in the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. And within the Ark of the Covenant, there were several items, and one of them were the tablets of God's law that were there. And the high priest on the Day of Atonement, once a year, was allowed to go into that most holy place and to sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice over top of that mercy seat. And this was the picture that when God looked down to that Ark of the Covenant, and when He looked down to His law, and when He looked down at that law, that His people had transgressed, that He saw the blood of the sacrifice covering it. It was a picture that pointed us towards the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the Gospel teaches us that it is through the blood of Christ that our sins are atoned for. So that when God looks down on us and looks at our transgression it looks at our sin, for those who are in Christ, He sees that covering of the blood over our sin. And that's why the Word says that He is merciful towards our iniquities. Because we're covered by the blood of Jesus. And it's so important that we remember this. Because again, our hearts long for this Old Covenant mentality. So that when you sin and when I sin, we gravitate towards this thought of what can I do to make up for my sin? You may have a situation that you recently experienced where you you sinned against a person where you did something and you you felt guilty and you knew that you did the wrong thing. And, And maybe your motivation after you said you were sorry was I've got to do something to make up for it. I've got to do something to make it better. I've got to do something that shows I'm really sorry here. We want to do something. But when it comes to our fallen nature and our sin and our transgression, there's nothing we can do to cover our own sin. What God calls us to is to repent and to trust in Christ. And to understand that if we have trusted in Christ, that when God looks down on us, He doesn't say, oh, there's Richard and there's all his sin and all his transgressions. He looks at me and He sees the blood of His Son. And He sees me made righteous and made new through the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus wants us to understand today. This is what Jesus wanted His disciples to understand. This is why at the Last Supper, He held up that cup and He said that cup was a new covenant made possible through His blood. That it would be His blood poured out on the mercy seat. That it would be His blood that would cover sin. God says this, and then He says in verse 12, I will remember their sins no more. In other words, God says, I'm not going to remember their sins. Now this can imply that God forgets. And that's a bit troublesome because forgetfulness is something we attribute to ourselves and to man and not to God. Now, For example, James points this out in James chapter 1 where he says, For anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, and for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what it's like, what he looked like. And so he's saying, in our sin, when we hear the word and we don't do it, that's like looking at our reflection and walking away and not remembering what we look at it like at all. We forget. And he's pointing out, we are forgetful people. Maybe you've had an experience similar to one I had this week. Uh, our schedule was a bit different one day, typically, uh, after school, uh, Anna Claire, one of our daughters, will run cross-country and she's there till about 5.30 and then my wife will pick her up on her way home from school. And so usually I don't pick her up. But on this particular day, things were different. She was going to get done at 3.30. And so Sandy asked me, can you pick up Anna Claire? Yeah, I can pick up Anna Claire. And knowing that I forget at times, she asked me multiple times if I could pick up Anna Claire. And then she texted me and she reminded me. And of course, my response, yes, 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 of course, I won't forget. And then 3.30 came, and I got a text from Anna Claire saying, who's picking me up today? <laughs> and so I raced towards the school and got there, and as soon as she got in my car, the first thing she said was, did you forget me? And I lied. I was like, no, I didn't forget you. I was tied up at work. I wasn't tied up at work. I'm sorry, Anna Claire. I'll publicly <laughs> repent today. I forgot my daughter. Not the first time I've forgotten my daughter. I forget all kinds of things. And I know I could blame it on age, but I've always forgotten things. And maybe you struggle with that too. We are forgetful people. There are certain things we'll hold on to and never let go of, but there's other things we need daily reminders and constant reminders because we so often forget. But we need to understand when it comes to the way that God deals with our sin, God doesn't forget. God doesn't come down with some type of supernatural amnesia. God doesn't remove this knowledge of our sin completely from His mind. That's not what's being said here in this passage. What He specifically says is, I will remember their sins no more. And what that means is not that God forgets, but that God no longer is going to bring that sin up against us. That He's no longer going to hold that sin against us. That He's no longer going to recall it and it be this testimony against us because that's what sin does. We don't need someone else to accuse us. We don't need someone else to testify against us. The Scripture says our sin testifies against us and our sin condemns us. That's why Isaiah says very clearly in Isaiah 59 verse 12, for our transgressions are multiplied before God, and our sins testify against us. And so, apart from Christ, friends, our sin screams out, We are guilty. Now, our mouths might not do that. I don't know about your house, but in my house, with all my kids, no matter what age they were, when something happened, and I asked who did it, not me. Not me has been living in our house, and I don't know when not me is going to move out of our house, but not me is responsible for everything in my house. We are not quick to acknowledge our sin, but the Scripture says we don't have to because our sin itself testifies against us. And our sin cries out before a holy God. We are guilty. And the beauty of the Gospel is this that while the Scripture teaches clearly we have all sinned and fall short of God's glory, and that the wages of our sin is death, the Scripture also teaches us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, that in Christ we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. God does not forget our sin. When God looks on it, if we are in Christ, God sees the blood of Christ Jesus His Son and declares us righteous through Jesus. And that is so much more glorious than this notion that God just says, "Why, I've forgotten it. I just have forgotten it. No, God doesn't hold it against us. The blood of Christ covers our sin. So when God looks at me today, He has not forgotten my sin. When God looks at me today, He has not somehow gotten amnesia. He knows every wicked thing and every depraved thought that has ever gone through my mind. But when God looks at me today because I am in Christ Jesus, He sees the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus is now what testifies for me. He has been made new. He has been washed clean. He can now come into your presence. Friends, that is the glory of the Gospel. And that is the beauty of the new covenant. And that is so much better than this notion of forgiving and forgetting. Forgiving and forgetting, that's not a gospel concept. Because God doesn't forgive and forget. God forgives and doesn't hold us against us. And we've twisted that. That's why many of us, we have very dysfunctional relationships with one another. Because we just demand, well, I've sinned against you, you just need to forgive and forget. But we don't have the power to push a button and wipe our memory clean. No, the beauty of forgiveness, of biblical forgiveness, is that when there's repentance... When you are forgiven, when you have repented of your sin, then the beauty of biblical forgiveness is a brother or sister in Christ saying, I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. I'm not going to bring this up every time we have a disagreement. You are forgiven. And you are covered by the blood of Jesus. And this is the beautiful thing, the better thing of the new covenant, as well as point four. The new covenant restores our fellowship with God. It restores our fellowship with God. Now that fellowship that was broken in the garden, where there had been perfect fellowship, where God dwelled with Adam and Eve and they were in His holy presence, but because of their sin, that fellowship was broken and they were removed from His presence. And then we have that picture in the tabernacle of God desiring fellowship with His people, but it's not like it was in the garden. That the people couldn't just come in to that most holy place. A representative could go in once a year, but they couldn't dwell in God's presence. But all of that was pointing us towards Jesus. And Jesus Himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Which means that through Jesus, we can come back into the presence of God. That means that one day, For those of us who are in Jesus, we will feast in God's house. We will dwell in His presence and He is making all things new. He is doing a work in us and through us to prepare us for that day. And He has done this through this better covenant through Jesus Christ. The old covenant cannot do that. It can only give us laws and rules and commandments and tell us to try harder and tell us about to vow to change. And for some of us this morning, that, that may be what we're holding on to. Some of you today might be here because you made a vow. <laughs> you made a commitment. You've messed up. You've sinned. You've said, well, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to make things right and I'm going to clean things up and I'm going to try harder. And maybe you have sinned against someone so many times. and When every... I'm not going to do this anymore, I'm going to try Harder. Friends, that is an old covenant mentality. What the new covenant tells us is that our standing before God is not based on how hard we try. It's based on the blood of Jesus Christ. And and as Christians now, that there is change, there is sanctification, but it comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. My work is an overflow of what God has done. It's not in order to earn something. And it produces fruit. And so the question for us this morning is have we experienced this new covenant work, this new covenant promise? Has the Gospel taken root in your life? Does your life look different today than it looked a year ago? Are you quicker to forgive today than you used to be? Are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit? Love and joy joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, are these things becoming more and more evident in your life? Again, I'm not asking if you're a perfect person. We're not going to be perfect people, but we should be people who trust in a perfect Christ. And Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, brings about these changes in our life. And one of the ways to understand whether we've truly been transformed by the Gospel is to look to these tangible fruits. And if it's not there, it may be that you're holding on to that old covenant, that old religion this morning. And you need to repent of that. And you need to place your trust and your faith in Jesus. And it may be that you've done that before, but but you're struggling right now. And you're suffering right now. And you're in the midst of a trial right now. God's call to you is this. He's not promising to just fix everything this morning. But He is promising that a day will come when you will feast in His house if you are in Christ. And all things will be new. And between this day and that day, He's calling us all to walk by faith. So let's do that now as we pray and as we sing. If you would stand together as I pray for us and for this time of response. Father God, we thank You for the promises of the new covenant. We thank You that our standing before You rest entirely on the blood of Jesus, on the work of Christ. We thank You, Lord, that Your call to us this morning is not to make vows or to try harder or to check off a list. Your call to us this morning is to trust in Jesus and to walk by faith. Your call this morning is for work to take place in our life but not in order to earn our salvation that work should be because of our salvation because you've saved us and we've been born again and born anew and have new hearts we have new desires and we know a new way to live so help us to live it lord help us to trust in the power of your spirit to change us father now we ask during this time a response if there's sin we need to repent of pray lord we would repent If there's somebody in this room, somebody in our life that we need to go to, apologize to, to seek forgiveness from, I pray we wouldn't let the sun go down today before we do that. There's someone, Lord, that You've placed in our life that we need to share the good news of the Gospel with. I pray, Lord, that You would empower us with Your Holy Spirit to share the best news they will ever hear with them today. Help us, Lord, to walk by faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.